I went back up to my truck and grabbed my shotgun. How a fall off a cliff was just the beginning of their problems. And big changes at Broadway and commercial. We're trying to do housing that really addresses families. Our first look at plans to give the neighborhood a dramatic makeover. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. RCMP are investigating a pair of suspicious fires overnight started by vehicles smashing into buildings, one in Surrey, one in Langley. That's where our Grace Key is tonight. And Grace, this is likely a lot more than a coincidence. Yeah, very bizarre incidents that unfolded earlier this morning. As you said, we're just at the Langley location behind me. You can still see the super safe truck that crashed into the building. Police forensics here now at the scene as well. And certainly they're going to be looking at a possible connection between the two incidents. Police are investigating two bizarre and identical overnight fires. The first happened at 2.45 in the morning on the Langley Bypass near 204th Street. A stolen SuperSave HydroVac truck ran through a fence and smashed into a business, the Vancouver Auto Liquidation Center. The building was engulfed in flames. At this point, it's unclear if the fire started on impact or an accelerant was used. The fire was well involved. Uh, this became a defensive fire right away. The uh roof has come down in the main section of the building. About 15 minutes later, another company truck, also stolen, ran through a Cloverdale business called Vancouver Auto Credit. That building also caught on fire. No word yet on how this place started. Do you own the dealership? I do. The owner of the auto center arrived to her business and spoke with investigators at the scene. We spotted the same woman minutes later at the Cloverdale location. It is my understanding that she does own both locations. Uh, so, of course, we will be working with the Surrey RCMP to try to determine if it was the same person responsible for both incidents. In another bizarre twist, on Monday, a car burst into flames and it happened just a few metres away from the Langley Auto Centre. At this point, we don't know whether or not that is linked either, but that will obviously be part of the investigation today as we look into all three of those incidents. And Grace, any word yet on a possible motive or suspect description? Yeah, you know, I did speak with some employees from both of those uh, businesses. Uh, they said there hasn't been anything like a disgruntled employee that they know of, no actual threats to either of the companies, no suspect description and no arrest. But police say there was, uh, witnesses did say there was somebody fleeing at this location right after the crash. So that's certainly something that they're going to be looking into. Chris? No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Grace Key and Langley, for us tonight. Now, breaking details of an arrest involving a B.C. man wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. 33-year-old Asif Chowdhury of Seashelt is alleged to have posed as a police officer to carry out a number of robberies of women in Calgary. He's also accused of sexually assaulting a woman in Ontario. Chowdhury was arrested in B.C. He'll remain in custody here until later this week when he'll be transported to Alberta to face some of those charges. And Mounties in Coquitlam need your help identifying this man who used pepper spray during a road rage incident. It happened back on April 17th, just after 7 o'clock. RCMP say the two drivers were arguing over who had the right of way near Lougheed Highway and Brunette Avenue when the driver of the black Mercedes got out and bear sprayed the people inside the gray Kia. If you recognize him, Coquitlam RCMP would like you to give them a call. 
A difficult day in court today as the sentencing hearing began for Kenneth Fenton. He's the man who pleaded guilty to drunk driving charges in connection with the death of RCMP Constable Sarah Beckett. As Ted Chernecki reports today, the court heard about Fenton's blood alcohol level at the time and saw some shocking surveillance video. Now 29 years old, Kenneth Fenton arrived in court this morning to hear the arguments for and against a long prison sentence. He could have faced 14 years on one charge of dangerous driving causing death or a life sentence for impaired driving causing death. The courts heard how Fenton had been drinking heavily that night in April last year. His taillights weren't on, so a different police cruiser tried to pull him over. Soon after that, he ran a light that had been red for about eight seconds, according to traffic video shown in court. 32-year-old Constable Sarah Beckett just happened to be going through that intersection on a green light, returning from an unrelated call when Fenton's pickup truck T-boned the police cruiser. Thousands attended Beckett's memorial service. She left behind two young children, and her widower today told the court how painful it was to tell the kids mom wasn't coming home. Any hope of the hearing wrapping up today disappeared by late afternoon. We wanted to get this over with today, but you saw what happened. The uh, Crown had a lot to say, and we didn't get to address the court until 3 o'clock. The court heard there were aggravating factors like Fenton's high impairment, a lengthy driving record with nine incidents, the taillights off, and how he initially refused to breathalyze her. But the Crown agreed that at no time did he try to flee, so it asked for jail time of three to five years. The Crown is submitting that an appropriate sentencing range is between three and five years. Uh, the Crown is submitting that in this case, based on these circumstances, the court should impose a sentence at the upper end of that range. The courts also heard how Fenton's alcohol consumption was related to his best friend's suicide. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Crews battling a wildfire near Caramillos, gaining the upper hand today. A helicopter was dousing flare-ups this morning within the fire perimeter, a much different scene from yesterday when gusting winds fanned the flames. A hay barn was destroyed in the fire, and it came dangerously close to a half dozen other homes. The fire is now 70% contained, and while the exact cause is not known yet, there is speculation that a group of seasonal agricultural workers in the area where the fire started may be responsible. And that's dramatic cell phone footage showing the extensive damage caused by fire at the Quinsom Hotel and Pub in Campbell River. Witnesses say flames broke out just before midnight, but fire crews couldn't keep it from spreading. The good news is everyone inside the building made it out safely, and no one was seriously hurt. The provincial liberals painting a rosy picture of B.C.'s finances today. Finance Minister Mike DeYoung pointing out B.C.'s books show a $2.8 billion surplus. That's $1.3 billion more than was originally forecast back in February 2016. The accounts, of course, have yet to be certified by the province's Auditor General. And this does come on the eve of the confidence vote. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us now. And Keith, you spoke with the Premier uh, earlier today. She revealed a little bit about what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Bit of a bombshell from Premier Christy Clark just a short time ago, Chris, uh, talking to us over here in the Rose Garden just behind me uh, for the first time, revealing in more detail what she intends to uh, talk about with the Lieutenant Governor when she heads to Government House tomorrow, just after 5.30, when she's, her government's expected to lose that confidence motion. Today, Christy Clark, well, originally she said she wasn't going to offer the LG any advice. Today, though, that's not quite the case. What she intends to do, LG, if asked, could provoke a provincial election. So the prospect of an election, I think, is a little closer now than we have been in the past. Here's Christy Clark. It's not my intention to advise her whether or not she should call an election. That's her decision. Um, but, um, you know, here's what I do know is in these conversations between a premier and a lieutenant governor at moments like this, she will probably ask me some questions. And if she asks me, do I think this legislature is working or do I think that it can work? I got to be honest. I mean, you've seen what I've seen this last week. It isn't working. So if that turns into the advice that Christy Clark is giving the Lieutenant Governor, Judith Gishon, uh, the LG only takes advice from one person. That's the First Minister. That's the Premier. She could decide on that basis to call an election, or she may still call on John Horgan of the NDP and get his sense of whether things can work. But don't rule out the fact that we could have a, an election in the days ahead. It's quite fascinating how this is playing out. I'll join you for our live coverage in Victoria tomorrow. Keith, see you then. Okay. All right. Well, how should TransLink structure its fares? A major review is underway, and the company is now sharing some of the early feedback from the public. Jill Bennett is live with more on this. And, Jill, charging by distance seems to be a popular response. What are some of the other ideas? It does, as well as ideas such as making SkyTrain a one-fare zone, much like we see in parts of the bus system. Also, how to make it less crowded and more affordable. We now have some of those results on what people are saying in this phase two of the major fare system overhaul put out by TransLink. The current three-zone fare structure hasn't changed since 1984, but ask transit users, and they say there's plenty of room for improvement. It should just be a little bit less expensive in general. One zone, less complicated. Life is tough enough. Let's talk transit fares. Some feel the current system is unfair. In the second phase of TransLink's fare review, 56% of the 11,587 people who participated in a public survey want SkyTrain fares based on distance, not zones, eliminating short trips that can cost more depending on where you board. Being on a zone boundary, I do find that uh, sometimes it costs me more than I think it should. So, yeah, we, uh, we spend a long time uh, putting up with the construction of the new... Uh, station just to find that even though we can see it across the street there it's another zone a smaller transit listens panel is also in favor of distance pricing 61 percent agree or strongly agree even though for some riders that could mean they pay more an important thing to note though is that actually people in every part of the region are making short trips also uh, people in all parts of the region are occasionally making those those longer trips as well so uh, it's not, it, the, the length of trip isn't um, determined just by the part of the region that you live in. I think, I think distance would be better, yeah. How come? Um, well, it's, it's pricey going from zone to zone, right? More than 70% of respondents also want more off-peak discounts, reduced fares to alleviate congestion during the busiest times. Currently, evenings, weekends and holidays have lower fare prices. 
Now, these changes aren't going to be happening soon. This is just phase two. Recommendations will be made in the spring of 2018. It could be another year, though, until we see anything implemented. One thing that is changing when it comes to transit fares, July 1st, single-ride tickets will be going up between 5 and 10 cents. Chris? All right. We'll budget for that. Thanks very much, Jill Bennett. Uh, in Burnaby for us tonight. Just ahead of an eviction deadline, residents of Vancouver's 10-year tent city packed up and moved to a new location last night. And while the city says shelter space was offered, critics say that's still far from a solution. Nadia Stewart explains why. On Monday, they were booted out. By Tuesday, they made it clear they weren't going to leave quietly. And by Wednesday... Vancouver's roving homeless encampment had found a new home. I, I don't see any problems, really. This uh, should just help us out and uh, eliminate this problem. About 50 people moved from the tent city at 950 Main Street to this East Vancouver lot at 1131 Franklin Street on Tuesday evening. It's another city-owned site. It's vacant, unused, uh, as there are many other sites like this in the city. We need social housing on them right now. In an email to Global News, the city says shelter space was offered to all of the residents. Clearly, those here did not accept the offer. I am. So by late Wednesday morning, Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services was on site, speaking with campers about the heat and housing, doing what they can to ensure safety. We will be here pretty much on a daily basis to ensure that they're safe. We want to see them go to bed at night safely. We want to see them wake up in the morning safely. We need to stop pouring way too much money into a shelter system. DJ Larkin with Vancouver's Pivot Legal Society agrees safety must be ensured, but she says governments also need to step up. The reality is we don't have enough housing for people. Shelters are not homes. Shelters just churn people back out to the street over and over again. People who live in these camps have been let down by government so many times that it's going to take time and we really need to listen to them. The city says it plans to continue conversations to find permanent housing exactly how long it will take to make that much-needed housing available to those here, well, that's still not clear. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Meantime, plans for a big new development proposed for the Commercial Drive neighborhood have been revealed. The area has seen opposition to large projects in the past by locals fearing gentrification. Paul Johnson is live tonight where this new development could go up. Paul, what's the reaction so far? Chris, it's mixed. There are some people here who tell us they would welcome this, but there are others who are more skeptical. They say this would change the face of their community, and if it went along the lines of recent trends in Vancouver, a lot of these places could end up in the hands of speculators and flippers and not really do much to address affordability here. Drives alive. It's just lots of energy, lots of activity, always something going on. There's lots of reasons to be drawn to Vancouver's commercial drive area. It's always had that edgy, up-and-coming vibe. But what happens when the next big thing turns into the here and now? Check out this architect's vision of a new community that would rise on top of the Safeway at Broadway and Commercial. More than 600 new residential units, some condos, some rentals, plus a mix of retail and office space. In some ways, it's overdue. In any major city around the world, developers would be interested in a location like this. You've got two SkyTrain lines coming together, a major east-west bus thoroughfare, and all of that intersecting with Commercial Drive. So it's no surprise 
people are making plans for this place. It's considered, I gather, the, the most intensively serviced transit node in Western Canada. Michael Heaney is leading the design team that's trying to strike a balance between livability and density. We're trying to do housing that really um, is addressed, addresses families. We think there's a real issue in families trying to find uh, housing in the city. But bringing new homes to a city with an affordability crisis may not be as straightforward as you think. One of the major concerns is the height and the density at that particular location. Len Paul is with the Grandview Woodland Area Council. It seems a bit premature to try and put such a large development in this particular location with all the traffic problems. While there may be no warm embrace from some community groups, out on Broadway this afternoon, the developers probably would have felt encouraged. This area is... Uh you know, could use some redevelopment, I think, so I think it'd be great. I think we'll improve the area a little bit. I have no problem with it. Why is there a backlash? Uh, in East Vancouver, um, there can always be a backlash. A lot of hurdles yet for this project, not least of which is getting the city to change the zoning here. If this is going to happen, it's probably some years out. Chris? Long way to go before it's built. Thanks very much, Paul. A crazy camping adventure lands a Prince George couple in Abbotsford Hospital. They were camping near Harrison Hot Springs when a late-night bathroom run nearly killed them. First, they fell off a cliff, and then they stumbled into even more trouble that added another layer of fear. The startling details in just over a minute. Well, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything cuter than this little guy now under 24-hour care at the Vancouver Aquarium. How he ended up there a little later on the news hour. And tougher airport security for travelers to the U.S. from over 100 countries around the world. What you need to know if you're traveling still ahead. Now, a Prince George couple recovering tonight from serious injuries and counting their blessings at the same time. They both fell more than 12 meters down a cliff, each breaking several bones. And as Jeff Hastings reports, that was just the beginning of their terrifying ordeal. When they stopped screaming, that made us a lot more worried because we, we didn't know what was going on. Saturday night, Brian Cox and Michelle Pereira went over this cliff behind their campsite in the dark, plunging some 10 meters onto rocks below. Aaron Plonka was steps away with his girlfriend, the couples wrapping up what had been a fun, relaxing day at Moon Rock above Morris Lake. My girlfriend and I were just talking um, just about the stars, really, because it was really beautiful out there. And then we heard both of them just, like, blood-curling screams. Aaron got the injured couple's kids safely into a truck, grabbed a first-aid kit and his slug-loaded shotgun. They were worried about a bear in the area. All we saw, like on Brian, we saw a bunch of blood um, and, like, all over his face and on his clothes. And Michelle... She had, uh, we noticed her arm was really crooked. Michelle's arm is broken. Brian has a fractured skull. There are eight broken vertebrae between them, broken pelvises, and broken ribs. Brian was lifted out first, but he was only worried about Michelle. Brian, all, it was actually kind of romantic, because all he was doing was trying to get to his lady. It was, he was making sure she was okay. He didn't even care about what was going on himself, really. Aaron was prepared for a backcountry crisis, but says he's going to be even better off next time. With summer here, police are urging everyone to be cautious. The mountains are, they're beautiful and they're very inviting, 
but the, the terrain is uh, forbidding and demanding and can be very unforgiving. The couple are grateful to Kent Harrison's search and rescue. Friends have started a GoFundMe campaign to help with bills while they get better. They need encouragement to stay strong and, and as a little bit of funding to help them through their struggles right now. Six more weeks they're expected to be guests at Abbotsford Hospital. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Instant cash, instant victim. I think these people are very crafty at what they do. How thieves are preying on people who've had a little too much to drink on the Granville Strip. And a sequel to the summer road closures of a couple of years ago, Deadpool is back to disrupt your commute. It's BC's best Canada Day party. Join Global News live on location Saturday, July 1st, as we celebrate 150 years of the greatest country on earth. Canada Day at Canada Place with Global News. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. It was back in the summer of 2015 that production of the movie Deadpool shut down one of Vancouver's viaducts. Tonight, the sequel to the hugely successful film is going to be shooting in downtown Vancouver, forcing the closure of a number of streets. Camby, West Cordova and West Pender are among the roads that will be affected. Just check our website for more information on the closures. All right, we're all told to protect our pins when using a bank machine. And in Consumer Matters tonight, we learn why there's a very good reason for that, especially if you use an ATM at night. Andrew is here to tell us where and how the bad guys are taking advantage, Anne. Yeah, keep your eyes wide open, Chris. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. We all know Vancouver's Granville Strip can be a zoo, and now fraudsters are preying on intoxicated bar patrons. Since the crimes appear to be escalating, Vancouver police are warning the public. ATMs in the city's entertainment district are the latest target for thieves. Since January, nine debit card thefts and frauds were reported involving thousands of dollars in police believe there are more victims out there. The suspects are peering over the shoulders of people withdrawing cash from the machines to get their PIN numbers. After the transaction, some criminals are stealing the unsuspecting victim's debit card, replacing it with an expired card. In other cases, the suspects trick intoxicated victims into handing over their debit card, claiming the card they are holding belongs to the thief who had left it in the machine. The victim's card is then swapped for an inactive one. Thieves then using the pins to drain cash from the victim's accounts. So are you afraid of uh, using ATMs Yes, I am. Especially uh, late night. It's like a lot of people here. Like people on drugs, so like it's kind of scary. It's kind of sketchy here. Sometimes I gotta go in the ATMs, but I don't feel really good taking out of them because I think I'll get my car's cloned or something. Well, it happens. I, th I think these people are very crafty at what they do, and criminals always come up with different ways to try and get money. And this is just another way that we've been aware of. It could happen to you even if you're not intoxicated, if you're not aware of your surroundings. So police say awareness is your best defense. Protect your pin as you enter it by standing close to the machine and using your hand or body as a shield. And, of course, never accept help or allow anyone to interfere with your transaction. You can also consider taking out cash prior to going out so you don't have to use an ATM when you are out late at night. And make sure to always monitor your bank transactions regularly and report any suspicious activity immediately. If you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much, Ann. Better budget, more time to get through U.S. security. It will cause a burden on these airports. 
New measures to stop terrorists that will slow you down too. And the Lone Star Tick, the allergy it can cause with just one bite that could spoil your supper. An Alberta man who told police the devil told him to do bad things declared guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. This afternoon, a jury found 24-year-old Derek Soretsky guilty of killing Terry Blanchett, his two-year-old daughter, Haley Dunbar Blanchett, and 69-year-old family friend, Hannah Mekatek. The trial lasted several weeks, but it took the jury just three hours to reach a verdict. Soretsky showed little emotion while friends and family of the victims wept openly in court. New York police are asking for the public's help in solving a mystery that cost a young man his left leg. They've beefed up the reward in the case of an explosive device left in Central Park almost one year ago. The explosion in Central Park on July 3rd last year was devastating and baffling. 18-year-old college freshman Connor Golden, visiting the park with friends, jumped off of some rocks and landed on a plastic bag filled with explosives. His parents got the terrifying call. They actually put him on the line. He was conscious at the time and, and told us that he had stepped on a bomb. Stuff feel good? Oh, yeah. Feels very good. Golden's left leg was amputated below the knee. Today, nearly a full year later, New York City police are stumped and increasing the reward to $40,000 for information that leads to an arrest. We need phone calls, we need uh, leads, and that's why we're here. Investigators believe the homemade explosives could have been there for days, a white powder called TATP. These components are commercially attainable, so a lot of people can get this. You really know, how, what, know, know what you have to do, you're doing to put this together. It's very dangerous. It has become a favorite among terrorists, including ISIS, used in the bombing at that Ariana Grande concert, as well as the attacks in Brussels and Paris. But so far, the NYPD says there is no terror link in this case. Visitors in Central Park climb these rocks all the time, and they take lots of photos and videos here. There could be someone walking around with a case-breaking lead on their phone, not even realizing it. I know there are people out there who have information, who know uh, more about this. Golden's father and the NYPD are hoping the public will help crack the year-long case, now turned ice cold. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. A California firefighter specially designed helmet cam is giving us one of the best looks yet at what firefighters are faced with. Firefighter helmet cams don't often provide such a clear picture, but this camera is specially designed to withstand high heat. The Sacramento Fire Department was one of the first in the U.S. to buy the cameras for its firefighters, and they say they also work as a valuable training tool. And believe it or not, there are three people in that car hanging on for dear life. Their vehicle caught in flooding in northeastern China. Luckily, a team of railway workers was nearby and used a rope to pull all three out of the car to safety. Miraculously, no one was injured. A sigh of relief today for everyone who takes their laptops and tablets on flights to the U.S. The Department of Homeland Security announced it will not expand its limited ban on large electronics in the cabin. But the trade-off might be spending more time in line. The new security steps being phased in this summer will affect 2,000 flights every day coming from 105 countries. Every flight to the U.S. from abroad. 
the new procedures could include more thorough carry-on bag checks, more bomb-sniffing dogs, more swabbing for explosives, and eventually next-generation bag screening technology. Unless we all raise our security standards, terrorists who see commercial aviation as the greatest takedown will find and attack the weakest link. The new measures come after U.S. intelligence determined ISIS has found a way to smuggle explosives into laptop computers. Since March, passengers coming from 10 Middle East and African airports have been required to bag check any electronic device larger than a cell phone. The U.S. suggested it would expand the ban to all flights globally, but airlines, foreign governments and frequent flyers all complained. Officials always have to balance the security based on the intelligence issues they see with the inconvenience that this will cause airlines and travelers. Now, if any airline doesn't meet the new requirements, Homeland Security could ban its flights or ban all personal electronics larger than a cell phone. For smaller airlines and countries, a potentially expensive challenge. It will cause a burden on these airports, and I, you know, the best I, I could say is that Hopefully the TSA and DHS are out there talking to these governments, trying to come up with a, uh, a strategy to mitigate this. In Phoenix, American Airlines and the TSA are already testing advanced 3D scanners to more thoroughly screen carry-on bags, the kind of technology that could be eventually introduced overseas. In Health Matters tonight, a type of tick that can cause a bizarre allergic reaction has arrived in Canada. Two cases of bites from the Lone Star tick have been found in the Maritimes, one in Ontario. It's most troublesome because the parasite's bite can trigger an allergy to red meat, and reactions can be quite severe. Everything from upset stomach to and rash to anaphylactic shock. Experts say Lone Star ticks are aggressive, and they'll actually chase after people when they smell carbon dioxide and sweat. There haven't been any reported cases of Lone Star tick bites in B.C., but experts say with the changing climate, the risk is increasing. A baby that's getting a lot of attention tonight. How a young otter ended up at the Vancouver Aquarium and the message to the public about rescuing wildlife. And why this Time magazine cover displayed in a number of U.S. President Donald Trump's golf clubs is making news. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. After the forecast, why this cover of Time magazine is blowing up on social media today. A lot of people taking great photos of our beautiful environment, our gorgeous city, mm -hmm. <laughs> the mountains, the sunshine. It's all out there. That's right. Why wouldn't you take yeah. advantage of it? Yes, another glorious day in Vancouver, right across much of the province, but all areas saw sunshine today, and I'll show you which who didn't, uh, but we're going to focus in on your long weekend. There are a few areas that will see rain, and I'll show you which in a second. 20 degrees was our high, which is right near seasonal. It was a little chilly this morning, and that's because we did see a bit of cloud cover. You can expect, again, some cloud tomorrow morning, but it should clear very nicely, just like we're see we saw today. There's that upper-level trough that shifted to the south, so it was wending through the southern interior and the Kootenai region, although the bulk of that now shifting to the south, and that will continue to be the case as we head into the evening hours. Also, a slight risk of a thunderstorm, but certainly that is now pushing out, all thanks to this upper-level ridge that is going to shift onshore for the next two days. We've got beautiful days in store for us over the next few, and temperatures are going to soar once again. Interior regions can expect 30-degree weather tomorrow, but as I mentioned, Let's focus in on our long weekend. 
That is going to shift out that ridge as we head into the weekend. An upper level low is going to shift down and we're going to see more onshore flow. For southern BC, that means cooler conditions, but it will be a near seasonal, so not too bad. And at this point, no rain in the forecast. We will see more cloud cover, though. I expect that. But for those of you across the north coast and some northern regions, you will see rain as we head into the weekend. For the southern regions, no rain in the forecast. We're still days away. Make sure you tune back in, but that's what we're calling for at this point. All right, so this is your tomorrow. North Coast, enjoy the dry weather for you tomorrow because all will change on Friday and certainly into your Saturday. Interior regions, some cloud cover, but beautiful sunshine, mid-20s. There's your 30-degree weather once again for tomorrow, and it will be even hotter on Friday for you, and that's the same case across the South Coast. So warming up again tomorrow, 23 to 26 degrees for Metro Vancouver, even warmer on Friday, up to 27 degrees inland, but then we cool down once again through the weekend, expecting more cloud, but again, no rain at this point in Canada day, looking terrific. Happy birthday to Roy Edgel. He celebrated 100 years in North Vancouver, and Aaron Sebula's grandparents, Denise and Henry Sebula, celebrating 70 years together in Langley. Congratulations to you, and it's weather, sorry, we love water Wednesday, and today's photo is by Pat Harrington in Mill Bay. She enjoys drought-resistance plants, like hostas, that's uh, this one here, and uh, gold Golden Japanese forest grass, like that one there. I actually have one of those, too. Uh, great ideas. Thank you so much, Pat, for that. Uh, it saves uh, time and water. And if you would like to send us your photo, we'd love to see your wa- uh, water-saving tips. Um, you can get more ideas at welovewater.ca and also a list of more drought-resistant plants. Chris. All right. Good stuff. And happy anniversary to Nana and Papa Sebula, too. Okay. That was a nice little touch today. Hi, Erin. Also, Donald Trump, fond of blasting what he calls fake news, but that apparently doesn't apply to his self-promotion. The Washington Post revealing today that this cover of an old Time magazine, which is posted prominently in a number of Trump's golf clubs, is fake. Time confirms the cover, which calls Trump's former show The Apprentice, a television smash, was never published. Time has asked the Trump organization to pull down the fake covers. The Vancouver Aquarium Marine Mammal Rescue Center is taking care of one of its tiniest patients ever. It sounds just as cute as it looks. They estimate this sea otter pup is only two to four weeks old and so will need round-the-clock care. It was found off northern Vancouver Island by boaters who pulled him out of the water after he began following the boat with no other adult otters in sight. Now, the aquarium says, well, the rescuers were well-intentioned. The animal should have been reported so that wildlife officials could then determine whether he was actually on his own. But for now, at least in the care of the experts at Vancouver Aquarium. Because I've heard that they can be left on loan while mm-hmm. the parents go and get food and for a fair amount of time, apparently. Exactly. Something that humans couldn't do. No. no. Now you stay, you stay, yeah. walk around the park. I'm going to go get some groceries. Yeah, it's illegal, uh, I think. Did I photobomb you in the uh, show here? You did. You stepped in. That's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I like having you in the show. Always right. happy to have Squire well, on the show I'm, in I'm, any I'm, form. I'm happy that you're happy. <laughs> what are you working on? Just over a week ago, we mm-hmm. talked to Jim Benning, and Jim Benning said this about Ryan Miller. We're in conversations with his agent. Um, we'd like to have him back. But... Miller might duck out of here and head to Anaheim. Oh, get it? I do get it. Thanks. Very funny. 
And uh, hey, how about this? Merging when one lane is blocked. Turns out too many Canadians are doing it wrong. What you should do to keep everyone moving. Straight ahead. One of the top goalies in the league at one time. Well, yeah, he was one of the best when he was with Buffalo. And actually, as far as I'm concerned, he was a Canucks MVP last year in a season that was obviously one Mm -hmm. to forget. As beautiful as Vancouver is, it's no Disneyland. And that might be where Ryan Miller is going to go as a free agent. The Canucks want to sign him for next season, but with Miller's wife being actress Noreen DeWolf, a short drive to Hollywood from Anaheim might be ideal for Miller. And the Ducks need a backup because uh, Jonathan Bernier, who was their backup, is now a free agent. I'm not so sure they're keen on bringing him back. The reason the Canucks would like Miller back is they don't believe goalie of the future Thatcher Demko is ready for that now. Don't believe he is ready for the now. Jacob Markstrom has never played a whole bunch of games in one NHL season. What happens if he gets hurt again? Look for the Canucks if they don't get Miller to go with a free agent veteran rather than give Richard Bachman a chance as the backup. He played a bit for the Canucks last year. And the Canucks have made former Sudbury Wolves head coach Trent Cole their new bench boss in Utica. He replaces Trent Green, who, of course, was promoted to be the Canucks' new head coach when they dropped Willie Desjardins. Cole has been an assistant in the American Hockey League for eight years, so he knows the league well, and he has worked with a lot of young players. Well, if your name is Connor and your last name starts with MC, then 2017 is your year for cashing some big bank. Connor McGregor will be making much money when he fights Floyd Mayweather. And the Oilers are going to sign Connor McDavid to a new contract. His current deal runs out after this coming season. The Oilers are looking to get his name on an eight-year extension that'll pay him an average of $13.25 million per year, most in the NHL. To look at it another way, eight years, $106 million all in. It has been all but worked out. However, it cannot be officially announced until July 1st. So happy Canada Day, Connor. And I want to give Terry Jones of the Edmonton Journal credit on this. He had a good comparison. McDavid's $13.25 million would be the highest average per year in the NHL. But in Major League Baseball, $13.25 million per year would only be 89th highest. In the NBA, it would be 75th highest. And in the NFL, it would be 23rd highest. In the CFL, that much money a year could pretty much buy you half the league. Well, the moment Roger Clemens became one of baseball's tainted legends, the collateral damage was felt by his boys, whose names all start with K, because K is a symbol for strikeout, if you see what I mean. But I digress. One of those who has dealt very well with that collateral damage is current Canadian's first baseman, Casey Clemens. Casey Clemens is now on the long road that stretches between Vancouver and the major leagues. He is just removed from a stint at the University of Texas, where he learned not only the game, but how to deal with his name. Going there really kind of prepared me for that, um, with a lot of media coverage there. Of course, I mean, having my last name, um, that's going to come come with more because of what my father did in, in this game in baseball. So I'm just here to make my own career now and, and uh, try and fight to get to the big leagues. Being the son of Roger Clemens has always meant more than just big expectations for Casey. There is the heckling that the last name invites. Of course, I don't like hearing bad things or negative things about my family. That doesn't really make me happy. But uh, I try to try to um, keep locked in as much as I can on the field and just, 
like my dad says, they don't boo nobodies. So that's something that, uh, that I like to think about when, whenever they do start. Seas President Andy Dunn is used to dealing with the sons of legends. Last year he had Craig Biggio's boy Kevin in Vancouver. They've been dealing with that since they were in Little League and then through high school and now college. You know what, they're used to it. So again, we'll worry about the player and the player on the field and anything else exterior. They've seen and heard it all before, so we'll let them handle all that. I normally just, when I come in, I just introduce myself as Casey, and hopefully in a week or so they'll realize who I am. And I'm a very humble guy, and um, if you ask my dad, if you didn't know I was his kid, you wouldn't know because I'm not, I'm not entitled or anything. I'm just out here just like everybody else trying to, trying to make my dream come true and, and make it to the big leagues. That's all. Blue Jays have signed Victoria's Michael Saunders to a minor year league contract after he was dropped by the Phillies. He was with Toronto last year and the year before at six years in Seattle. He'll go right to Toronto's AAA team in Buffalo. I think the chances are pretty good he might get called up this summer by the Jays. Speaking of the Jays, boy, that's embarrassing. When you wear your Stroman uniform and your other friend also wears his Stroman uniform, like couldn't you wear something else, maybe? Couldn't you warn your Bautista uniform? He could have really looked good when he hit a home run tonight against Baltimore to make it one nothing, Or maybe your smoke jersey. This one's dead center. That makes it 2 nothing for the Jays over the O's. And then watch this. Great stop at short, but then it's just a series of errors after that. Up, oh, nope, too slow. Up, oh, oh, two runs scored. Jays win it 4 nothing. What a finish in a semifinal at the uh, Confederations Cup. Portugal and Chile go to penalty kicks. With the first of the shootout and so, into the Portuguese net. Chile right got three kicks in. And their goaltender, or goalkeeper, the soccer official, Claudio Bravo, made three saves. Wow. Like this guy was absolutely incredible. Penalty kicks, come on. Usually it's an automatic, you would think, for the shooter. And Chile goes to the final. <laughs> it don't hurt him. The guy's the best dude you got. That's right. There okay. you go. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Squire. We'll check in now with Jay Durant for a preview of Global News at 11 tonight and some breaking news out of the Okanagan, Jay. That's right, Chris. We're learning about a deadly incident on the Penticton River Channel. The coroner was called in around 3 o'clock today after witnesses say an inflatable flipped with a group of young men on board. The 20-year-old man was pulled up after 15 minutes below the surface and later pronounced dead in hospital. Police say he was tangled in a rope. And you mentioned it earlier, Deadpool 2 is filming in Vancouver. We'll check in on the production tonight. Those stories on the rest of the day's news tonight on Global News at 11, Chris. All right, sounds good. And on the topic of traffic disruptions, how do you merge when you come up to a blocked lane? Turns out you've been doing it wrong. We'll show you how to do it right next. Do you drive up to the front of the line and hope to squeeze in, or do you do the polite Canadian thing, merge immediately, and then curse everyone driving past you? You might be surprised at which option will keep traffic moving better. John Waugh reports. Why can't you merge over way before this? No matter where you drive, it's a method of merging. Clue in. That gets people hopping mad. There are but I shouldn't say that. When it comes to lane reductions, many BC drivers take pride in getting in line as soon as possible. I kind of go wherever I can get in, to be honest. I merge in usually ahead of time because it'll just ramp up at the end and then people get upset. 
But what if those line cutters were correct all along? I think baloney is the word. The city of Coquitlam even making up new road signs to set the record straight. Zipper merging is the right way to draw. Come up to the front of that line to arrive there on an equal basis between the two drivers and then to alternate back and forth. Mooney says the signs will be used to improve construction zone safety, even make traffic run more smoothly. And the proof is in the numbers. A study by the Canadian Automobile Association found congestion is cut by up to 40% if the proper zipper merge is followed on a consistent basis. I think people are reluctant to pass other people and then ask to essentially cut into line. The reality is the line doesn't start until the taper begins. It's even a tactic adopted by the definition of fast food. McDonald's going with the double drive through which customers have dubbed the McMerge which creates shorter lineups and better efficiency. Even then, people aren't loving it. Everything we were ever taught from little children. You stand on line, you wait your turn. Not at McDonald's. So maybe it's not so much a learning curve, but people having to fight a false moral code. I suspect it would, would take a little bit of doing to convince myself. Unless people buy into the sign, acceptance of the zipper merge will keep getting stuck. John Hua, Global News.